welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. We're doing something kind of counterintuitive this season, uh, and that's, you know, normally in the Christmas season, that's a time when we're all uh, captivated with you know, nine pound, eight ounce baby Jesus, however big he was. Um, typically, you know, that we, we lean into the story, the birth story. And as a church, we've been working through the book of Mark, and the text that we're in right now is actually Jesus' crucifixion, which is a little bit counterintuitive. Typically, Christmas, we're focused on the birth, not the death. But um, I really believe that God has orchestrated and organized our life for this very purpose, that, that we would intentionally lean into that message this Christmas and consider it. And so um, I'll start by just saying that, you know, as, as we gather today— as we gather both, you know, those that are gathering online, those that are gathering here, uh, we're in the midst of a holiday season that's not that unlike the holiday season during which Jesus was crucified. You know, so think about this. Um, Jesus was crucified during what was known as Passover week in Israel. And it was the kind of the pinnacle of uh, there's, the Jewish calendar was organized around three major festivals. This was the biggest one. This was the, this was the, the pinnacle of, of everything that they, that they did. And so this was their big celebration. It was a week during which people were busy with traditions. And those traditions were uh, informed by their religious belief, by their faith. But they had also become cultural observances as well. They were, they were broader than just the religious practice. There was, a, there was a cultural tradition happening as well. It was a time that was filled with travelers and out-of-town guests, especially if you lived in Jerusalem, which is where this is taking place. It was a time filled with menus that needed to be shopped for, with meals that needed to be prepared, with tables that needed to be set, wine that needed to be poured, a lamb that needed to be slaughtered. We don't all have a lamb that needs to be slaughtered, but maybe a ham. You slaughter a ham? I don't know. Um... It was a festival filled with traditions and with specific songs. There was even a song list, a playlist that was, uh, that was part of Passover. We have Christmas playlists. They had, a, they had a Passover playlist. If you were in Jerusalem at that time, you would have heard Mariah Carey singing Psalm 118 over all the radio stations. People were very tired of it. You could hear people like muttering, like, if I hear Mariah Carey sing Psalm 118, <laughs> one more time, I swear to Yahweh. No. They, they didn't swear to Yahweh. It was inappropriate. Um, but here's the thing. In the midst of all of that holiday commotion and busyness that we can relate to, uh, in the midst of all of that, something very ordinary happened in their time, unfortunately ordinary, and that was that someone was crucified. And that was a pretty common occurrence. In fact, we're going to see today that on the very day that Jesus was crucified, on that same day, there were two other thieves that were crucified on the same day. 
This was a common occurrence in, in Israel uh, as, a, as a place that had been conquered by Rome. Uh, Rome's greatest criminals, the criminals against Rome would be crucified as an example, a public example to other people. So something that was very ordinary happened, and yet for those who had the time to look at it, it had extraordinary ramifications. The people's response to what happened that day throughout Jerusalem, throughout Israel, uh, took on a variety of responses. That's what we're going to be looking at today is the, the various ways that people responded to the crucifixion of Jesus. Today, we're going we're to begin by listening to the story, and then we're going to consider the variety of respo- responses that were evoked on that day some 2,000 years ago. And then we're also going to pause to ask, how should we respond today? And so that's actually what I titled the message. You know, this whole series has been follow, follow me. And then with a specific, what's follow me look like out of this passage? This, this follow me is by pausing and by responding to Jesus' crucifixion. So um, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 15. But rather than turn there in your Bible or rather than opening up your app, um, we're going to do something. And we're, and we're not even going to put this on the screen today. Uh, instead, of, instead of reading it or, or watching on the screen, we're going to listen to it. We're going to hear an oral presentation of Mark chapter 15. And so uh, I'm going to invite Rihanna Freeman. Where's Rihanna? There she is. Would you guys welcome Rihanna Freeman? <laughs> Rihanna is our faithful and tenacious and talented um, leader of N4 Ministries. So Rihanna's coordinating all of the, the Whittier project currently, for example. She's coordinating the two Christmas parties we're throwing for the, the Whittier uh, students and families. Uh, she's also a voracious student of the word. She is one of the, the writers of our weekly uh, daily devotions. Uh, she is one of the, uh, the authors for that and, and sometimes the narrator. Uh, but over the last two years, she has been memorizing the entire gospel of Mark. She's been committing it to memory. And, and so for a time, uh, she's in, currently in a different uh, vocational role, but she used to be on our, our facilities team here. And while she was on our facilities team, she was, she was working around here around the, the church campus, setting things up and tearing things down and cleaning things. She was just memorizing the book of Mark, listening to it, reciting it, repeating it, allowing it to, to saturate her mind and heart. And so today we get the, the privilege of hearing that from Rihanna's heart in the way that it has um, come to shape her mind and heart. And I want to invite you to, to pay attention because this is a story that many of us are so familiar with that we don't always hear it fresh. And I think this is a way that we might hear it in a fresh way today and just have open ears, open hearts to, um, to hear the story so that we can respond to the story. So Rihanna Freeman. Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council, met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they're bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. 
Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Should I release to you this king of the Jews? Pilate asked, for he realized by now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priests stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip and turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters called the Praetorium and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe and wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck his head with a reed stick and spit on him and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took him out of the purple robe and dressed him in his own clothes again. Then they led him away to be crucified. A passerby named Simon, who is from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And then they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and rolled the dice to determine who would get each piece. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced the charge against him. It read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. As people passed by, they shouted abuse and shook their heads mockingly. Ha! Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said that you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Now then, save yourself. Come down from the cross. The um, teachers of religious law and religious leaders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we can see it and believe him. Even the men who he was crucified with ridiculed him. At noon, darkness fell across the land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought that he was calling out to the prophet Elijah. 
One of them ran and, and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it on a reed stick so he could drink it. Wait, he said. Let's see if Elijah comes and takes him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry, and he breathed his last. And the curtain in the temple sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who was standing in front of Jesus saw how he died, he exclaimed, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were standing there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, the younger, and James, along with many other women who had followed him into Jerusalem. This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. Joseph of Arimathea's took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus's body. Oh, sorry. Nope. Okay. Yeah. And asked for Jesus's body. They start over. Okay. So Joseph of Arimathea's took a risk and asked for Jesus's body. Joseph was a member of the high council and he had been waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead. So he called a Roman officer to him and asked if he had died already. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead. So Pilate told Joseph that he could take the body. Joseph bought a linen cloth that was long, and then he took Jesus' body down from the cross. He wrapped it in the cloth, and then he laid it in a tomb that was carved in the rock. Then he rolled a large stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he laid Jesus's body. Thank you, Rihanna. That was amazing. We're going to be going back through that passage, not line by line, but we're going to be looking at the various responses. That was the thing I was struck with as I was engaged in this text just again this week is the variety of responses and the fact that Jesus' death does in fact provoke, it evokes a response. And the question is, what should our response be today? Jesus... Um, Mark, so we're going to be looking at seven, actually seven responses, which is, well, Pastor Try, who is the founding pastor of Vineyard Boise, he always found sevens 
in almost every message that he ever preached was seven things that this passage teaches us about this or seven things that this passage shows us about this. And um, they were always really there, but it was amazing that he always found these patterns of seven. So this week I was actually on, I actually had six. And then all of a sudden I realized there was one I hadn't, real, I hadn't, I hadn't caught before. There was actually seven. So in accordance with the prophecy, seven responses to Jesus' crucifixion. <laughs> so here's the thing. The first group, group number one, seven responses. These were the passers-by. Um, Mark doesn't spend much time talking about this group. He does talk about one small subset of this group, and we'll look at that at point number two. But understand this. There was undoubtedly a silent majority of people that were so preoccupied with their own holiday preparations, their, their celebrations, that they just didn't have time to pause and consider the meaning of just one more pitiful soul being executed by the Romans. Remember, Jerusalem was, was teeming during this time with, with visitors who would flood in from around the world, even as we see later, somebody from Africa, Simon of Cyrene, he's from Africa. People would come from all over the known world because they wanted to celebrate and observe Passover in Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem would grow to, to maybe five times its normal population. Estimates were that during Passover week, there would be 100,000 people in Jerusalem, which is not a big area in terms of just geographically. But there was a silent majority so preoccupied with their holiday separate, their preparation and celebration, they didn't have time to pause and consider the meaning of one more pitiful soul being executed. With all that had to be done, who had the time, let alone the desire, to stop and to consider this gruesome scene? There were much happier things to busy and occupy themselves with. Think about that as we come to Christmas and as it's practiced in our culture and, and specifically within our faith tradition, Christmas is the time that we revisit the birth story, not the death story. But I want to say this, that they, they go together. Jesus' incarnation, Jesus' incarnation, we talk about Jesus taking on flesh and becoming part of his creation. Part of, part of the creation, was, it was the incarnation, but it's not just the birth, it's also the death. It's the two bookends and, and everything in between. That's the incarnation. And Christmas matters because of what happened on this Friday, the cross. Jesus' incarnation matters because of the whole story. And yet, I believe that just like those people in Jerusalem who were the passers-by, who didn't have time to stop and look at it that day because they were busy with their holiday preparations, they were just as capable of being busy with Christmas and might let it pass by without ever taking the time to consider why it matters. Why it matters to mankind and why it matters to each one of us personally. I want to urge you to not respond simply like the people who just passed by. I want to invite you today, and whether you're joining online or whether you're here on campus, to pause, to look at not only Jesus' birth, but also this, the way in which he died, to ask why it matters to mankind, to ask why it matters to you, to, to wonder about that. There, there's some mystery to the nature of Jesus' death and, and how it affected change for us. We talked about this a few weeks ago when, we, when Jesus took them through the Last Supper. And we said, you know, Jesus actually didn't give a systematic theology that explains how the crucifixion and how, the, how it all works. He didn't give his disciples a point-by-point -point, uh, explanation, a sermon of why he had to die. He gave them a meal 
to engage in, to respond with. I want to urge you to wonder and to worship and to respond. A couple of ways you can do that this week. Um, Pastor Mike and also Rihanna, those, they, they are typically the ones writing our daily devotions. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't engage in our daily devotions, I want to invite you to do that. Maybe try it just this coming week. The theme again for this week will be why Christmas matters. These are ones that Pastor Mike put together for us. So five days of devotions, you can find those online. You can find them, you can listen to them through a podcast that you can find wherever you podcast, but you can basically go to our website and you can find all of that stuff there. You can read them, you can listen, but, um, but carve out some space in the middle of, of our busy season to actually engage in the story. Also Christmas Eve, we'll, we'll gather next Sunday on Christmas Sunday and it, again, the message is going to be why Christmas matters. We're going to be in the resurrection story. So we'll get to complete the story that Rihanna just started for us. We're going to be in the resurrection. But I want to encourage you to invite somebody who may not yet be a follower of Jesus. Somebody you've been praying for. Christmas is a time when our culture and our faith tradition gets closer. Typically, those streams can be quite, quite distant and, and maybe growing in the, in the, the separation. But at Christmas time, these, these streams start to come together. And people are, are, are more receptive. And so I want to encourage you to invite somebody and also to make sure you respond yourself. And then, so that's Christmas Sunday. It'll be our normal time. Christmas Eve, as, as Brent mentioned, and we do have these flyers that some of you picked up as you came in. Our, our ushers and greeters will have these at the doors as you leave today. They just go through the Christmas Sunday, Christmas Eve, both give the details on those. But on Christmas Eve, we're going to gather in here and we're just going to, we're going to worship with the worship carols the Christmas carols that are specifically carry the story and allow us to respond. We're going to respond by listening to the story once again, and we're going to respond with just a time of communion. So that's for the whole family. So I want to encourage you, don't, don't get so busy that you forget to pause and look at Jesus and respond. Second group, these are the mockers or unbelievers. One of the ways that Mark put it was this. He said, those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Save yourself and come down from that cross. Other, other things they said in verse 31, they said, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. They said things like, let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from that cross that we may see and believe. And then the last group said, let's see if Elijah will come and take him down. Let's see if Elijah will come rescue him. This group of mockers and unbelievers, they're, they're a subset of those who just passed by. They too would not be staying for long. They wouldn't linger on this scene and, and respond to it personally, but they did pause just long enough to communicate their cynicism and their unbelief that this man might truly be who he claimed to be. They, they had heard the claims, they just didn't find them to be credible. That he was the very son of God, that he had come to offer up his life in order to give life to all who would turn to him in faith. Why didn't these people believe the mockers, including the soldiers who mocked him before he was taken out to the cross? Why were they mocking? What was, what was at the heart, the, the root of their unbelief? Jesus' claims did not fit into their worldview, the way they thought about the world. They didn't fit into their expectations didn't fit into what they had learned at school. It, it didn't even fit into how they interpreted their scriptures. Understand, there was theological resistance to Jesus that was rooted in the way 
they read the scriptures, the way they interpreted them. A crucified Jesus didn't fit into their nationalistic hopes that were intertwined with their religious expectations. There was this mingling of Jewish nationalism and, and the, the hope for a restored Israel that would be freed from Rome and, and once again established in, in glory and power. That was part of their nationalistic expectation and it was mixed with their theological expectation. And so they didn't have room for a suffering Messiah. They didn't have room for their Messiah to be a crucified loser. And so they mocked. Some mocked and disbelieved because of their own pain. Rihanna talked about the, the, the thieves that were crucified on either side of him and how they too mocked him. And I think they were, they were mocking out of the great pain that was being inflicted upon them as well. And that's a, that's a possible source of unbelief when we're going through things that we don't want to go through, and it's hard to believe that, that, that because we're so connected with what we're experiencing here. It's hard to believe in something bigger. What about you? Do, you? do you struggle with believing that this moment that we're looking at, this moment 2,000 years ago, in an uh, obscure you know, province of the Roman Empire, do you believe that this moment could have any internal significance for mankind? Do you believe that anything happened that day besides just another Roman execution? Do you believe that Jesus' life was not taken from him, but that he actually offered it up, that he was in control of what happened that day? Do you believe that, that Jesus was not held on the cross by nails, but by the love that brought him here in the first place? Do you believe that what Jesus accomplished on the cross and subsequently at the tomb is powerful enough to one day heal all that is wrong in our world? Do you believe that what happened on that weekend, on that Passover weekend, is powerful enough to heal all that is wrong in the world one day? Even the pain that may be so tangible in your life right now. There's, there is a lot of pain in our world in general. There's a lot of pain in our, our church family specifically. We have families in our church who are navigating great grief and loss right now. And Jesus' cross and his resurrection is powerful enough, big enough in its scope and in its power to bring hope even to those places. If we'll take the time to look on him and to consider what it means. The third group are those who were set free. I'm thinking specifically of Barabbas on this point. Barabbas was most likely scheduled for execution with those same two thieves that were likely party to the same insurrection that he was a part of. The, these were Jewish zealots that were fighting for Israel's autonomy, and they had murdered, other, they had murdered Romans in their attempted overthrow that apparently got defeated. And though Pilate knows Barabbas to be guilty and, the, and though Pilate believes Jesus to be innocent, he allows for a substitution, an exchange. The innocent dies in place of the guilty. Though the story doesn't, Mark doesn't detail this part of the story, we know that Barabbas got set free. He was, his debt got paid. And what happened to Barabbas on that day is a foreshadow of what Jesus was about to make available for all of humanity. 
Jesus would say to every single person, regardless of the worst thing you've ever done or the good things that you've failed to do, whether you got caught like Barabbas or whether no one else knows about the things that bring shame, even if no one else knows, Jesus would say to you, let me pay your debt. Let me take your place. This is the great exchange, his life for yours, the innocent for the guilty. Pastor Mike, in this last week's devotions, he took us through three of the primary um, theological understandings of what happened at the cross. The, that ever since Jesus' resurrection, that followers of Jesus have tried to figure out what, why did he have to die? What, how does it work? What does it mean? And he took us through those. And one of them has to do with this thing of substitution, that there's a great exchange, that Jesus took our place. Maybe you have things in your life that you're deeply ashamed of. Maybe you're a prisoner, not behind bars, but a prisoner of shame and guilt and stuff that you can't stop doing. Because of Jesus, you can be forgiven. You can be set free. You can have a new power unleashed in your life that is resurrection power that begins to change you from the inside out, that begins to set you free. That's available today because of what happened 2,000 years ago. The fourth response is to watch, to wait, and to worship. Mark says that there were also women looking on from a distance. These are actually in contrast to the men who ran away on Thursday night when Jesus was arrested and everybody scattered. But there's these women who've been a part of Jesus following. They followed him actually ever since Northern Israel in Galilee. They've been following him. They've likely been patrons who have sponsored his ministry. Some of them were wealthy. But they've, they've traveled with Jesus and they, and they love him and they watch this whole thing and observe it from a distance. These are those who were counted among his followers who loved and believed in him. These women were, were traumatized by everything happening to the one that they had come to so love. But here's what they didn't do. They didn't run away and they didn't turn away. They watched. They followed this whole procession from, from Jesus scourging in the Roman headquarters, in, in Pilate's headquarters, from the scourging that he endured, which Mark doesn't go into detail about that because it was common knowledge. Mark was writing to people living in Rome and, and to people living in the first century. It was, Mark was writing some 30 years after this event happened, but people were very familiar with what happened during a Roman execution. So he doesn't detail it, but it was brutal. And I don't have to go into the details, but it people would say it's the most brutal form of execution that mankind has yet devised. He was prepared with a scourging that would tear the flesh from his back, would tear, tear, was known to tear ribs out of people's body. There's a reason that they had to compel a passerby to carry his cross because he had already been brutally beaten to the degree that he was too weak to carry the crossbeam himself. And they wanted to get this show on the road. The women watched all of that. They didn't tear themselves away. Out of love, they watched what he endured. They watched as he was nailed. They watched as he was lifted up. 
They didn't yet understand what it meant. They would come to understand it better in the days to come. But for now, they didn't excuse themselves to go prepare the holiday dinner. They paused to take it all in and to wait for an opportunity to do something, to do anything that would show their love, which is an act of worship. These are the women that when we get to next week's chapter, which will be uh, less ominous, these are the women that on Sunday morning, on, at sunrise, they waited and they prepared spices and they went and they treated his body. It was the one thing that, well, that's what they were expecting to do, which was an act of worship. They watched, they waited, and they worshiped. While being immersed in this story this week, I, I've taken several opportunities to replay what Jesus endured in my imagination. I've, I've, I've taken time to just uh, replay it in my mind, to think about what it might have looked like to experience it. it. It's not a comfortable thing to do. It's not pleasant. But here's what I found. It's heart-changing. It warmed my heart. I'm very familiar with the story. I can't think of a time in my life that I didn't know this story. From the earliest childhood, I was told this story. But the story became fresh for me again this week is in times of gathered worship, when our our team gathers in the mornings for worship and prayer, also in times of just private prayer and just like private reflection, I've just closed my eyes and thought through the story and I've allowed myself to think, Jesus, you did that for me. You did that for me. And you know what it's done? It's warmed my heart and it's awakened thankfulness. It's given me perspective on some of my own frustrations and pain. And it's been a really good exercise. (laughs) I can't recommend it highly enough. Mike recommended it in our devotions this week as well. In fact, he paired it. He paired that practice of considering what Jesus had done for us. He paired it with a passage from Hebrews that goes like this. Hebrews 12.2. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item that long litany of hostility that he plowed through, this will shoot adrenaline into your souls. It'll awaken faith, awaken love, awaken thankfulness in your hearts. In this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you to say nothing of what Jesus went through. All that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. Allow what Jesus did to warm your heart. Number five, fifth response, let others see your love for Jesus. Here I'm thinking of Joseph of Arimathea. Rihanna told us in that final narrative from chapter 15 about how Joseph of Arimathea, he was a a member of the Jewish high council. That's the Sanhedrin. That's the same group directly responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. They were his greatest opponents, his greatest, uh, his greatest, what, critics? They were the ones that had initiated and seen to it his crucifixion. They're the ones that incited the crowd to demand Jesus instead of Barabbas. Those are his peers. 
And we're told in one of the other gospels that though he was a member of that group, he disagreed with what they had done and he was a follower of Jesus. But it's at this moment that he chooses to out himself as a follower of Jesus, as a lover of Jesus. And it's with, it takes great courage to do what he did because he went to Pilate and he asked for the body. When he did that, he, he exposed himself to danger because here's the Romans who've just crucified Jesus and now he's showing himself as a sympathizer. He's exposing himself to ridicule from his peers in the Sanhedrin. He's exposing himself to exclusion. He might lose his influence because of this. He could, he could lose because of this. But Joseph decides that his love for Jesus is far more important than what other people think about him. And, and get this, he spends his money. We're told in one of the gospels that it was at a very expensive piece of linen that he bought to wrap Jesus' body in. He spent an extravagant amount of money in a way that others would, would say was a waste. I think his peers would mock him for, for being so wasteful with his money during this holiday season. What about you? Do you ever find yourself hiding your love for Jesus, your faith in Jesus, from others who would think less of you if they knew that you loved Jesus? Perhaps going back to number four, watching and waiting and worshiping will warm your heart and strengthen your courage to be seen as a follower of Jesus. Number six is awakened faith. Awakened faith. This is one of the responses we see in this passage. Uh, here I'm thinking of the centurion standing at the foot of the cross, observing just one more crucified Jew whose execution he had overseen and even, maybe even participated in. The man who we see standing at the foot of the cross saying, truly this was the son of God, may have just been one of the ones driving the nails. At the very least, he was overseeing the soldiers who were. He had, he had participated in hundreds, maybe thousands of, of crucifixions. This isn't the first Jew that he'd nailed to a cross. Something was different about this one. I asked the question, what was it? Because Mark doesn't give us any insight into this pivot that he makes. That was a massive pivot he made. Was it the way that Jesus had not resisted the nails that he had driven into his wrists and feet? Was it the way Jesus endured the mocking and the jeering with a, a prayer of, for their forgiveness? Jesus, on the cross, people are, are, are jeering and mocking and all those things that we hear them saying out of spite and cynicism and unbelief. And Jesus looks down in that moment and says, Father, forgive them. I promise you, of all of the, the, the people this man has seen crucified, no one has done that. Was it the prayers that he could overhear Jesus praying? Was it the way that Jesus spoke to the thieves on either side of him? Maybe it was the fact that creation itself had reacted to this moment with three hours of unnatural darkness. That's not an eclipse. This happened at high noon for three hours. Earth went dark. Mark tells us that, or actually Matthew tells us, that at the moment that Jesus breathed out his last and said, it is finished, that the earth began to shake. There were earthquakes. So we can speculate why he had this pivot, this change of heart. The reality is we don't know what, what it was that awakened faith in that man's heart. But Mark tells us that when Jesus cried out, it is finished, 
the centurion looked up and said, truly this man was the son of God. That's a confession of faith. It's not a theologically complete understanding of Jesus' nature. It's not systematic theology. It's not everything that could be, but it was authentic and it was a beginning. This was a new beginning for him. Jesus had said that he had come to give his life as a ransom for many. And as he breathed his last, the first person to respond was a Gentile Roman soldier who was crucifying him. That's amazing. Literally, Jesus speaks out his last, says, it is finished, and a Gentile becomes a believer in that moment. That's amazing. We would think of this centurion as unchurched or as an unbeliever. Something stirred in his heart that day, and he began a new journey with God. I ask you this, if his hardened heart can be softened by looking on what Jesus did that day, what heart can't be softened? Is there hope for anyone, everyone? What about your heart? Last response, number seven. You can participate in Jesus' death and resurrection, by the way. I'm thinking here of Simon of Cyrene. Simon was one of the travelers visiting Jerusalem at Passover. He was from Africa and he was making his way into the city to celebrate Passover when he was picked out of the crowd and he was compelled to carry Jesus' cross. Think about this. Simon literally had to turn around and go the other direction. He had to turn to the other direction, pick up a cross, and follow Jesus. He's making his way into Jerusalem as the soldiers are bringing Jesus out of Jerusalem. And they make him stop. I've tried to imagine what that moment was like. I've tried to imagine the maybe the wordless exchange between Jesus and Simon as Simon took the crossbeam from Jesus and began to carry it himself. I don't, I don't know what that was like. It was for, for all indications, Simon was a traveler from Africa that was there to celebrate Passover. This is not what he had in mind. But when he had an encounter with Jesus, it changed the trajectory of his life. What impact did it have on him? Well, Here's what we know. We know that Mark names two of his sons. Mark names, he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And Mark's not in the habit of naming all of the people in the story. I mean, just in the most recent chapter, we had two people that that could have been named and weren't named, right? Pastor Brent took us through the passage last week where where Peter chops off the, the, the ear of the servant of the high priest and Mark leaves him anonymous. One of the disciples did this. Mark tells us about a young man who was clothed with just a, a, a small cloth. And when he began to run away, they grabbed the cloth and he just left it in their hands and ran away naked. You know what? People, most commentators think that was probably Mark himself. Mark's the only gospel that tells that. We think it was probably Mark. He was a, he was a young man and an early member of the Jerusalem church. Why did he name these two? Because 30 years later, they had become part of the church. What happened to their father that day changed their family's trajectory. And they became not just Jews, but Jewish Christians, Jewish followers of Jesus. At the end of Romans, the letter that Paul Paul writes to the Roman church, he, he says, greet, this is Romans 16, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Those two boys, 
and Simon's wife became followers of Jesus that day. Now they were, Simon was compelled. He was forced to carry Jesus' cross. But we're invited to participate with Jesus today. We're not compelled. We're invited and we do so in baptism. So we have the baptism tank here today because part of what baptism is, is a participation in Jesus' death and his resurrection. We symbolically would participate with him. Simon participated by joining in and carrying the cross. He didn't endure everything Jesus did. His, his participation was admittedly small compared to what Jesus actually endured, but it was his participation. And that's what baptism is. Baptism is a way of saying, I identify as a follower and lover of Jesus. I put my faith in him and what happened on that day 2,000 years ago, and I trust that he's going to see it to completion. And so I'm identifying with his death with confidence that I'll be identified with his resurrection. Romans 6 puts it this way. For we were died and buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united in him with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. That's why we're doing baptism today. Because it's, it's a receiving, it's a, it's a proclaiming of what's happened. It's identifying with him. That something happens. We believe that this is more than just a symbolic act. We believe that there is a grace that is released, that there is an empowerment that we experience and that, that moves us forward in this new life with Christ. That, that if you are uh, imprisoned in, in shame, in addictions, in guilt, sin, you can be set free from that today. You can leave it all behind. Would you, would you stand with me if you're, if you're here on campus? We're going to put those seven responses back up on the screen here. And the worship team is going to lead us in just a few songs that allow us to consider the cross. Really, I think especially to do right in the middle, watch, wait, and worship. <laughs> I mean, invite you to do that. And I'd ask you, what, what's your response today? Maybe, maybe you've got a response that's not even on there. It's not one of the seven. I suspect that most of us have a number of those that we can identify with. Don't be so busy this Christmas season that you don't pause to consider what it means, why it matters. I want to invite you to respond afresh today. So as the worship team leads us, um, I just want to ask, first of all, let me put that back up, please. The number six, awakened faith. There's a centurion that, that looked up that day and he had a confession of faith. He didn't understand everything. This was pretty new to him. But he responded, something awoke in his heart. Something stirred him. And he said, this, this is the son of God. <laughs>
And he made a new beginning that day. I want to ask if there's anybody here today who would like to respond and just say, I believe that he is the son of God. And that what happened on that day 2,000 years ago wasn't just a happening, but it was for me. That he did that for me. And I want the life that he made available through that. If that's you today, I just want to ask you to raise your hand right where you are. God bless you. And if you're recognizing that for the very first time, this many of us, like, I've been in that place this week where I'm coming back to it again. But if you just raise your hand for the first time, if, the, if you're like the centurion where this is a pivotal moment for you in your spiritual life, I want to invite you to consider baptism. We have people that signed up in advance for baptism, um, but we also prepared for people to do this spontaneously. So we have extra towels. We have extra t-shirts. You'll go home a little bit wet, but it's worth it. So as we worship, if you would like to respond in baptism today, I'm going to ask you to go to this table over here. Kim's over here and she's got a sign-up sheet uh, just so we know who, who's responding. And we've got towels, or we got towels over here, but we have t-shirts there. We'll give you a t-shirt. But just as we worship, if you make your way over, and then we have a prayer team that's going to pray for you before you go in for baptism. And they're just going to ask you, what's God doing in your heart? And they're going to agree with you in that and pray over you and, and ask God to speak to them through them to you. And so if you came this morning prepared for that, or if you want to respond spontaneously, don't, don't miss this opportunity. Just head over there to the table. And, uh, and meanwhile, we all get to respond in a time of worship.
triumphed over death in you are worthy of glory and praise. Show me love and love. You've shown me love by leaving your throne, by bleeding and dying on the cross. That wonderful Every chain with love and mercy, you have triumphed over death, and you are worthy of glory and praise. Let's declare today, Jesus, you've won me. We sing it out. Jesus, you have won me. You have broken every chain with love and mercy. You have triumphed over death, and you are worthy of glory and praise. So we shout it out. Oh, so we shout it out. And lift up one voice in worship. Sing it out until all the earth can hear it. Jesus is alive, and he saves. celebrate Jesus' love together. Thank you, Jesus. And today we get to celebrate new life. Here's the thing. We, we built time into the service to actually do this um, while we're gathered. And this is a participatory thing, especially for those being baptized. But we are the family of God, welcoming people into the family of God. And so this is a chance to celebrate. So um, I'm just going to ask you, if you are here in the room or if you're online, if you would join in just praying uh, over those that are responding today. So we're going, to, we're going to hear from each one. We're going to find out their name and let each person share briefly why it is that they're responding in baptism today. And then as they go into the water and two of our pastors, or in some cases a parent, joins for baptism, would you just pray for them by name? And then when they come out of the water, we celebrate because this is a big deal, right? This is the pivotal, the, the pivotal moment for that centurion. It's the pivotal moment for families. Like, in, you know, in Simon's case, his whole family was changed that day as he turned around and picked up his cross to follow Jesus. 
So whole families are, are being rippled by this impact right now. So let's start with, uh, is this Benny? Benny, why don't you come up first? Can we get our guys in the water here? All right. Benny, can you tell us your name? So I already kind of did that for you. And also, why are you getting baptized today, Benny? I, I, I wanted to tell the, I wanted to tell the whole vineyard that I was dedicating my God, my life to God. All right. All right, let's pray for Benny. Next, we're going to welcome Avery. Avery, can you share with us? Yeah, give it up for Avery. Can you share with us a little bit about why you're wanting to be baptized today? So I've been wanting to be baptized for a while because I want to show people that I'm dedicating my life to Jesus and not to anyone else. Father, we thank you for Avery today. Bless him today. 
in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you would uh, just go before him and prepare the way. Father, that as he commits his life to you, Lord, that um, you would he would follow you all the days of his life. And Lord, today we just dedicate Avery to you, God. We just say, have your way in his heart, have your way in his life. Thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, and your mercy to him today. We bless him today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Avery, we're going to turn you this way. Where, where are we facing? I think, right. I think we're back. Okay. <laughs> okay, perfect. All right, let's play with that. All right, Avery, on the confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, everybody, this, this is Maddie. Maddie, can you share with us why you want to be baptized today? Uh, because I love Jesus and I want to follow him for the rest of my life. <laughs> he wants that for you, too. Amen. Morgan, can you share with your church family uh, why it is that you're getting responding in baptism today? To be reborn as a Christian and to show my belief for God. There you go. Okay. Who's with you today? And my family. That's awesome. Okay, Morgan. agree with me in prayer this morning for Morgan. Lord, we, we just agree together this morning. We bless her. We bless the work that you're doing in her life. And Lord, today we ask God that you would um, just shine upon her with your grace and your goodness, or that your loving kindness would be shown toward her, or that as her tender heart is turned toward you, or that you would do an amazing, incredible work in her life and in her family. Today, I declare that it's a work in her family today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we just say yes to you, Lord, and we yes, dedicate Morgan to you yes, in Jesus' name. Amen. Morgan, I just, uh, okay, the word light, okay, in particular, jumps in me. Okay. Um, he speaks his light over you. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness 
has not overcome it. Shine in and through her, your daughter. Amen. Amen. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Amen. All right, let's plug your nose here. All right, we're going to confession of your faith. We baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Next, we have Angela. Angela, could you share with us a little bit about um, why you're here today to respond in baptism? Um, this is my first time doing this. Um, I'm sober, been sober, and I just need to be reborn. Woo! You know, I, I think it's exciting that on the one hand, we have the spectrum of, of so many young kids um, getting an early start on life in this, in this past. And also that we have people who um, are walking out of a, a, a whole life of history and experience. And we had to pray for both. It's, it's pretty awesome. Okay. You know, there's a book of the Bible named after you. It's called Malachi. <laughs> Okay. Some people think it's an Italian prophet called Malachi, but it's actually Malachi. Okay. Um, my messenger. I too shake you to be his messenger. You bear his message. You embody his message. You breathe his message. And we'll just take those words tagged on at the end of Malachi for you right now. The Son of Righteousness would arise with healing in his wings. Jesus. These are your words. These are your reality. Lord, we pray that you would rise with healing in your wings in this life. Lord. That as she was buried in these waters of baptism, Lord, that you would do more than just get her wet, but Lord, that you would anoint her as your messenger to accomplish your purpose, Lord. That the message of grace and of your goodness and of your truth would spread through her without even having to try, God. So I ask you to do it. Yeah. In the name of your Son. Angela, do you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of the living God? Yes, I do. Upon the confession of your faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. everybody this is daniel daniel can you share with us about why you're being baptized today um to rededicate my life to christ and to be a reborn good child of god amen 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 that passage that we put up there from romans 6 did you did you resonate with that yes good that's my prayer for you today thank you that's awesome daniel hop on in agree with me this morning in prayer with Daniel this morning. 
Lord, today we say yes to the confession of faith that Daniel is making today. We agree. We stand together as witnesses in agreement, Lord, with the good work that you're doing in his heart and his life today. And Father, I just ask that you would bless him in every way. Father, that you would strengthen him, that you'd strengthen his faith, that you'd strengthen his courage. And Lord, that you would give him, Lord, every gift that he's that's needed in this season of his life. And Father, we just, we bless him today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Father, we ask you to fill him with your Holy Spirit and power today. Lord, that you would anoint him, God. And Lord, that you would just change and transform his life in incredible, radical ways we ask today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, Daniel, this may be your given name, your birth name, but it's also the name of your new birth. Mm -hmm. Daniel, mm -hmm. God is the judge. Mm -hmm. And we passed out of judgment into life. Yeah. Amen. Lord, we pray that that reality which is being forth from you. Yes. I'm seeing another word for you as well, uh, Daniel. I feel like you're standing in a well. Mm -hmm. There's a hole here in the middle. <laughs> and I'm thinking of that well that... Uh, well, Hagar didn't even know it was there. She was just dying of thirst out in the middle of the desert. And then God opened her eyes yeah. to see, and there was a well, and she called the name of the well, Ba'er Laharoi, the well of the one who sees me, the living one who sees me. Thank you, Jesus. So, Lord, make this a well of reality. Yes. Okay, he's not just standing in one word, but you are in him. Make, make your life in him a well of living water, just yeah. bubbling up Lord, to eternal life. Let him always be satisfied in you. Pour that out to others, Lord. And thank you that you see him, God. Let him know that you see him. Thank you, Lord. Daniel, do you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? Yes, I do. All right. That's my news here. My confession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, everybody, as Patricia's making her way up, I just want to um, give one last um, urge, one last invitation um, that, you know, we've got a few more to be baptized here, but we have more T-shirts, we have more towels, and we have more water, and we have more prayers. So if you're, if you're out here and you're considering this and you feel that stirring and, you, and something's holding you back, don't let it hold you back. Today's a, a great day to begin a new beginning with Jesus Patricia. I'm being baptized today um, to proclaim out loud to everyone that I know that Jesus Christ was crucified, that he died, and that he rose from the grave. And because of that, my sins are forgiven. And this is kind of like my contract with the Holy Spirit to spend the rest of my life worshiping and praising Him for everything that He's done for me. Amen. Amen.
talk, I'll talk loud. Oh, I'm really loud. Really loud. Talk to any of my kids. I'm talking loud. Okay. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Now, Patricia, you said you had no bit of fear and trepidation about this whole thing. Okay. Now, Jesus said something very frequently. I think I mentioned this to you before, which is one of the most common statements that he made to people once. Do not be afraid. Okay. Um, you're going to be fancy and give it to you. Great. Okay. Because it just sounds cool. He said, May Fabu, May Fabu, Manan Pistuo. Don't be afraid, just believe. Okay? These are like your marching orders. Okay? And that means you're also your hands. Do you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of the living God? Okay. By confession of your faith, he baptized you. Father, Son, Everybody, would you welcome Jacob? <clears throat> Hi, church. Uh, for a little over 30 years of my life, I uh, was a prisoner. And, um, you know, uh, out of God's grace, 40, 43 days ago, I had a needle hanging out of my arm and was drunk and... Um, you know, for years and years and years, I wanted a really close relationship with God. I just felt it was disrespectful uh, to ask him for that relationship when I was down here acting like an idiot, you know, living in sin uh, for 30 years. And I, I don't want to uh, to live like that no more. Um, I want to sacrifice, you know, my life to him like he did for me. And... Uh, you know, build the build the man that's inside. You know, I want to bring him out, drown the old guy. You know, in the hot tub today, and let the old guy fly for a while. I love you all. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not quite deep enough for that. Step forward. Let's agree together in prayer for Jacob this morning. Lord, today we thank you for the work that you're doing in Jacob's life. Yes. We thank you for the work that you're doing in Jacob's heart. And Lord, today as a congregation, we say yes and amen. amen. We say yes and amen to your transformative work in his heart and his life. Yes. And Lord, right now in Jesus' name, Lord, I ask that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit. Yes. Fill him with your empowering grace, Lord, and your goodness. Lord, to live the life you're calling him to lead, God, we ask. And Father, would you just, uh, would you anoint him? For this next season of his life would you anoint him for this next season and god as he goes down into this water and comes up lord would he rise up a new man a new man of faith walking in your goodness and your righteousness alone lord we thank you for the work you're doing and we say yes to it lord in jesus name amen amen, amen. 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 okay all right so hey i told you before jacob excellent name right my favorite name of god is the god of yaakov You've been a heel. You've already done that plenty. But he's a God of the heel. And he raises you up to be one who wrestles and struggles with God and prevails. You are a prisoner no more. Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed. Behold. That's an exciting word in Scripture, actually. That means look. 
Yeah. Behold, all has become new. Yeah. So let's make this so. Jacob, on the confession of your faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Freedom! Everybody, this is Tim, and uh, Tim's not very interested in talking into the microphone just now, but we had a little conversation here and he told me that he loves Jesus and he wants to follow God forever for the rest of his life. And um, I think that's about right for baptism. So could you join me in praying for Tim? We have Tim's sister here, Charity, and Charity uh, also said that she'd rather not talk into the microphone right now, but said that she loves Jesus and God and wants to follow him all the days of her life, and she wants to be baptized today uh, here into this church family. Charity. today we just thank you for charity. We bless her, Lord. We bless her, Lord. We thank you for her confession of faith in you, Jesus, for her love for you. And Lord, we thank you for your love for her. Lord, your deep, abiding love. 
your agape love, God, that is deeper than anything we could ever imagine as human beings. And Lord, today, I ask that you would make her an instrument of your love, Yes, that you would make her an instrument of your charity, that you would make her an instrument, Lord, of your worth to the world. Father, we ask that you would shine through her, Lord, all the days of her life, God. Lord, that you would cover and protect her and keep her. Lord, thank you for the strength that you put in her. Thank you for the grace that you put in her. Lord, would you fill her with your Holy Spirit and empower her to lead the life you're calling her to lead, we ask in Jesus' name. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. All right, Charity, in the confession of your faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> All right, last call. Anyone else? Anyone else? The water's warm. All right, tell you what, let's stand up and let's just go out with one last celebration song proclaiming uh, what our God has done for us. Can we do that? David, if you see Mike and Brent, we have a couple more people who just decided they wanted to be baptized. Can you go grab them? <laughs> These are a couple spontaneous ones that didn't have the clothes, um, weren't prepared for this, but don't want to miss the opportunity. So are we going to do this now? No? Okay. We're going to wait for next time. All right, church, um, Merry Christmas. As you leave today, uh, the ushers have these 
little uh, reminders that talk about the details for our Christmas Sunday and our Christmas Eve service. And um, grab one of those as you leave. Grab one for somebody else. And um, then go make the invisible God visible. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.